Happy Easter. Huh, I thought there was no seats left in here. There's a whole bunch of seats left in here. It's such a good thing to see so many people coming out to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life. I know a lot of you are here for the first time. Uh, we do apologize. It's a little crunched in here today. Uh, but we, don't, we only have 500 seats, and that's all we have. So, um, you know, we, we're doing the best we can. And we know that the children are here who are, you know, older than uh, three, so four and up, and I, I saw, I felt so bad, like seven of you were crying because you don't get to go to Galaxy today, but next week the Galaxy will be open, and it's open every week except for Easter, so uh, we wanted to have the chance for our families to be together on Easter Day, and uh, we're so glad that you're here. I do want to ask you, if you would, please, to get out this, we call it our connection, and inside, just get out this card. This is all we're going to look at right now. It's called a connection card. If you are here for the first time, if you'll give us your name and some contact information down at the bottom and check mark, this is my first time here. Don't put this in the offering. It'll be later after the message. There, there's going to be an offering. And don't put it in there, but take it out to the next step area. And uh, Frank and Debbie will greet you. They want to say hi. They have a couple gifts for you, some T-shirts and a, a book called uh, Life Cycle of a Christian that I wrote that talks about how we uh, live the life in Jesus and grow up to be more like Jesus. So we want to give you that and say thank you for being with us. Uh, Easter is a very special day, and for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, it's been a tradition. New Life isn't, you might have already guessed that we're not really a traditional church if this is your first time here. Um, we wear regular clothes, and we do music that sounds like the music music of the culture. It's called indigenous worship. It's like if we were missionaries in Africa, we would learn their language and we would do everything we could to accommodate to the culture without accommodating the truth. Uh, and that's what we do here at New Life. We want everybody to know the truth of God and Jesus Christ. So, but we want to do this one traditional thing in this service today. Uh, around the world, people have said, he is risen, he is risen indeed. So we're going to put that up on the screen. He is risen he is risen indeed. So my part is to shout, he is risen, and you guys are going to shout, he is risen indeed. Can you do that for me? All right, okay. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hate to tell you, but the 830 people were louder than you are. <laughs> I'm not sure you're convinced. Let's try it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Ah, that's more like it. Okay, so as I said, hundreds and hundreds of years, people around the world who follow Jesus Christ have been on Easter Day shouting the, that statement because Jesus, the Son of the living God, who came to earth as a little baby, lived a perfect life, the only perfect human life ever lived, a life that none of us could ever live. Um, and then he died on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for human sin, the penalty that we owed. Uh, then he rose from the dead, the most incredible moment in human history. And we celebrate it around the world. We celebrate it every year. And this is what happened, according to Matthew's account of what happened that first Easter morning. If you want to follow along in your Bible, your Bible app, it's Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back that stone that sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day when we remember that Jesus rose from the dead. God, we thank you that that resurrection power is available to us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for your Spirit's presence and power in us and with us today. God, we pray that as we reflect on this amazing moment and as we consider some of Jesus' truth this morning, that you will open our hearts that we might receive your good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus had told his disciples a number of times, at least three, as it's recorded in the Gospels, I'm going to be arrested by the religious leaders. I'm going to be tried and found guilty. I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, because I'm going to rise from the dead. But they didn't believe it. And the reason we know they didn't believe it is because on the first Easter morning, there were no disciples sitting, standing outside the tomb, you know, waiting for the thing to come open. They weren't countdown, 10, 9, 8. None of that. In fact, the only people outside the tomb on Easter morning were a bunch of Roman soldiers. They had been posted there because the Jewish religious leaders knew that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead. And they didn't believe that was possible, but they did believe it would be possible for the disciples to come in and steal Jesus' body and then say he rose from the dead. So they convinced Pilate, the Roman governor, to post guards so that nobody could get into the tomb. What they didn't realize is that somebody was going to get out. But they didn't, they didn't let anybody want to get anybody to get in the tomb, right? So the angel came, and it says that the soldiers became like dead men. Now, we're also told there were some women that came that morning, but they didn't come to see Jesus rise from the dead either. In fact, they were carrying embalming products that morning. They thought that Jesus, who was their Lord and Savior, was huh, dead and that he would stay dead. But when the angels When the angels spoke to them, actually it says one angel in Matthew, says two angels in a couple of the other gospels. We know there was at least one angel, and the angel said this, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Can you imagine how those women felt when they heard those words? I mean, they came with jars of ointment to put uh, the finishing touches on the embalming process that, that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had started on the, on the Passover Sabbath and, and which they were going to finish. They, they knew Jesus. Jesus was their master. In, in Mary's case, Jesus was her son. But what they knew about Jesus was he was dead. That's what they believed. But no, 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 he was not dead. He was alive. And he was alive in a, a different kind of way that, that, that they could never have anticipated. And what the angel said was, go look and see. So they looked into him. They saw it was empty. And then they said, and go find his disciples and tell them that Jesus will meet them in Galilee. So they knew where the disciples were. They were hiding. These men were afraid. They were, they were afraid that the Romans would find them or the Jewish religious leader would turn them over to the Romans and they would be crucified too. But on the way, Jesus shows up. And it says, Jesus said to them, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Have you ever thought about the first time you will see Jesus? 
I think about it every day. Honestly, I do. I think about it every day. You know, if I die today and I go to heaven, I'm going to see Jesus. Or he might come back today and I'm going to see him. Can you picture what it's going to be like the very first time you see Jesus face to face, your eyes meet? Well, I know that Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus and other Mary, they knew Jesus. But I believe that that first Easter morning when they saw Jesus alive, it was like seeing him for the very first time. And the reason I think that is because they thought that he was dead and now he was alive forever. What an incredible blessing it must have been. Yes, they heard the news, but then they actually saw Jesus. And it says that they fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And the interesting thing about that is Jesus didn't say, hey, don't worship me. I'm not a God. He received their worship because he is God. He received their worship, and then he said, Now go tell my brothers, that is the disciples, to meet me in Galilee. So the women went, according to the gospel accounts, the women went back to find, they found the guys, and they said, Hey, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. And, and just to summarize what they said was like, Yeah, right. Like nobody rises from the dead. They didn't believe it. They said, You must have had a hallucination. In fact, the disciples didn't believe that Jesus was alive until they saw him themselves. And Matthew tells us in the end of chapter 28, they say that even some of the guys that saw Jesus alive doubted. And I understand that. I mean, I've done a lot of funerals as a pastor. And so I know what happens when somebody dies. You know, they embalm them, they put them in, in, the, in the grave. And not one of those people has ever come back to see me after that. But this is Jesus, and Jesus isn't like anybody else. And Jesus came back to life, and he was different after he came back to life. I mean, he could walk through closed doors. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe he was a ghost. No, he wasn't a ghost, because remember, the women held on to his feet. Remember, you, the other Gospels tell us that all the disciples like, touched Jesus and made sure it was, he's really there. They saw him eat food, food, bread, and fish. So Jesus was alive like us. And yet he had a supernatural life that's not like us. But here's the coolest thing. We are promised that same supernatural life ourselves. If Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord in our lives, Jesus called that being born again, if we have that experience, then one day we also will get that resurrection life. And uh, today I titled the message, He is Risen, Now What? He is risen. I mean, we, we come together year after year after year, and we say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, and we believe it. Many of us have believed it for decades, but what do we do with that reality? You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, he stayed on the earth for 40 more days, and he was seen by 500 people. Those 500 people went out and told the people that they knew, and they, some of them believed, and they became followers of Jesus, and they went out and told the people that they knew, and the people that they knew... And one of them came to Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. I mean, it took, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to get that far. But that's why we're here today. is because there have been people who either saw Jesus themselves and passed it on after he rose from the dead, that is. Or those who didn't see him, but they believed the message. And so if we believe the message, Jesus tells us that we will have the same kind of life that he has. And in this life, we get to live in that power, that resurrection power. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The now what is what we do in life after Jesus is risen from the dead. So the last time Jesus saw the disciples, according to Matthew, this is what it says. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has all the authority and he gives it to his disciples. And when he gives that to his disciples, he tells us to go out into all the world and tell everybody else so more people can have faith in him. Jesus had a very simple plan. It isn't an easy plan to fulfill, but it's simple. In fact, we could summarize it in these three statements. It means going everywhere. That's the first step in the plan. It means baptizing those who respond to the good news. That's the second thing it means. And then the third thing is teaching them to do everything that he commanded. So... Jesus doesn't want to be our hero. He wants us to be the hero in his story. He wants us to go out and do those things. And here at New Life, what we have done since day one is dedicated ourselves to those three simple things. Our mission statement reads a little differently than that three-step plan, but it is to, we exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. Well, if we're going to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, what are we going to have to do? Go. Go from here in Saxonburg, you know, to Sarver, to Punxsutawney, to, you know, people, places all over the United States and even to the ends of the earth. Then the second thing, it says we're going to grow in Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? It means we're going to be baptized in obedience to him. It means we're going to learn his teachings and we're going to live them out and teach them to our children and our children's children if Jesus doesn't come back. And he is going to come back, but if he doesn't come back until our children's children are around, then we teach them. And the third thing is live. How do we live out this new life? Well, simple. We, first of all, receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. We receive the new life, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and we start to live out this teaching that we're learning over time. So the take-home point for today, and those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, the take-home point, we have one every week. It's the point I've been building up to so far, and I'll be, you know, explaining it for the rest of the message because we want to remember this and take it home with us and live it out in the week ahead. So here it is. All blessing comes from God, and the first blessing is receiving the resurrection power of Jesus. That we're alive and here today, that's a blessing from God. That there is a universe that God created for us to enjoy, that's a blessing from God. But simple things like the air we breathe, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, all of those are blessings from God. But I say that the very first blessing is the receiving the resurrection power of Jesus. What does that mean? It doesn't mean first in order that it came first. It means that it's first in priority, and it's the first source of a meaningful life. We can muddle through life. In fact, maybe you might be feeling like that today, that you're just sort of muddling through life. You're not sure what it's all about, or maybe you're pursuing one of hundreds of worldly pursuits in your life. I mean, there are people who invest or spend their whole life investing in money or security or position or power or or in people. And and those things aren't bad, but as as a God or as a goal, they're they're not good. And what Jesus told us is he is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so what we want to do if we want to have the life that God who created us called us to have, if we want to be and do what the God who created us calls us to be and do, then we're going to live this plan of God in our lives. We're going to experience it. And as we experience that, only then will we live out the plan as we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, receive his spirit, and live in his power. So from now through August... How many of you were thinking about August when you came in today? 
I don't usually think about August and April. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a plan ahead kind of guy, but there is one area of my life where, and it's actually our life as a church, where we do plan really far ahead, and that's in planning the messages and the, and the, and the series that we're going to do here at New Life because we do take seriously that we need to grow in our faith and in our life in, in Jesus Christ. And so from now and through August, we're going to take Jesus' most extensive section of teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at 20 weeks from today till the end of August is 20 weeks. And every weekend, we're going to take a little piece of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and then 7, and we're going to see what Jesus had to say about this new life that we're called to live. And what we're going to find, here's the key. Living the Sermon on the Mount requires resurrection power. Living the Sermon on the Mount requires resurrection power. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, as we read these three chapters, and actually, as we read most of the verses in those chapters, we're going to go, what? How can I do that? For example, Matthew 5.48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, so raise your hand if you think you're perfect. If you think you could be perfect by your own effort. Huh, I'm putting my hand down too because I don't think I can be perfect by my own effort either. Why would Jesus say, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, if it's impossible? Because Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a message for people who will have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They don't yet, because Jesus didn't die. He didn't go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to do the things that Jesus says to do, we need to have the Holy Spirit. And here's some really, really, really good news. The good news is that when Jesus becomes Savior and our Lord, we get God in our life. And there's only one God, Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus becomes Savior and Lord in our life, God the Father is part of our life, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. The Apostle Paul said that we can be filled over and over and over with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that we need to be baptized or immersed in the Holy Spirit. So that's what happens, and that's how we live this resurrection power. So let me just sum it all up by saying we cannot live Jesus' plan for our lives without his resurrection power. And that power comes to us from the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. That means blessing. And every one of the 12, or every one of the Beatitudes starts with the word blessed or blessed. Now, some of you, I would have been saying, all of you will find on your seat one of these booklets called Mountain Monologues. That's what we're calling this series, Mountain Monologues. And unfortunately... I underestimated how many people uh, would be coming this weekend. I thought, you know, that 800 would be enough and that maybe everybody wouldn't take one, but apparently everybody took one in the first few services. So if there's one un under your seat, you, you get to take it home with you today. If there's not, there will be one here next week. So when you come back next week, there will be one of these. We're going to order more, and they will be here by next weekend. So... What these booklets have is all 20 of the passages. If you would turn to page 7, if you have one, or share with your neighbor, it says Beatitudes. That's what we're going to look at right now for a moment. And it says take-home points. So you'll have the take-home point for every week. You can look ahead and know what all the take-home points are going to be. You can look at the next step for every week. And then it will be the scripture for that time. And then the message note space. You can write your own notes. We always have the outline that uh, are, is going to be in your connection each week. And you can put that in your booklet. 
If one of you has my book and it has an outline in it already and my name on it, I thought I would share it, and then I realized I shouldn't share a book with my name in it, and so now I have a book without my name in it. So you're probably back there. If one of you has my booklet. You could give it back to me. I'll switch you. All right. But anyway, the last thing is during the week. So during the week, not just here on the weekend, but you can think and reflect more on how we can live out that aspect. So we want to be very intentional here at New Life about helping us to do the now what. And right now, we're going to look at this very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And what it says is this. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... So Jesus saw a large crowd, probably much larger than this crowd. This is a really nice crowd, but a big crowd. And Jesus cared about the people in the crowd, but it says, seeing the crowds, he turned to his disciples. He turned to the 12. He didn't turn to the crowd. He turned to the 12. And if you read the four Gospels, what you find, somebody took the time to figure this out, 73.7% of the time, Jesus invested his time as a pastor with his 12 disciples. And only whatever that leaves, 20-something percent, with the crowds. Well, why was that? Because Jesus was investing in these 12 men so that they would bring the good news of salvation to the world. He wasn't counting on the crowds to bring the good news of salvation to the world. Every time he taught the crowds, like he would teach in parables, and, and it was hard to understand what Jesus was talking about. He would go to the 12 and say, remember when I was talking about that parable with the sower, you know, sowing the seed? Well, this is what it means. And then whenever Jesus would be in ministry, and sometimes they would be in ministry, and they wouldn't always get it right, and Jesus would take them aside and say, you know, the reason why you couldn't cast a demon out of that guy is sometimes it takes prayer and fasting. And Jesus, when he talked about his crucifixion, he didn't talk about that with the crowds. He took the guys aside and he said, hey, you know, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry because I'm going to rise from the dead. He invested so much time with them, and on that particular day, and let me say, He invested all that time in 12 guys, and one of them didn't make it to graduation, right? Judas didn't even make it to graduation. But on that day, the 12 guys were there, and Jesus climbed up on the mountain, and I was actually at the Mount of Beatitudes, which is really like a big hill. It's not so much like a um, mountain. Uh, And those who really he wanted with him, the disciples, the ones who were most serious about it, they followed after. And, And Jesus didn't have a microphone. He didn't have speakers. And the interesting thing is there's a natural amphitheater effect where the Sermon on the Mount was taking place. There you go. Good English. Taking place. And um, maybe the, the crowds did hear everything. But that wasn't the point. Jesus was teaching the 12. And because Matthew was there and because he was taking notes or because the Holy Spirit brought that all back to his remembrance when he was writing his gospel, we get to listen in all summer. So he's, here it starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if I said, blessed are you because you're poor in anything, you probably would say, well, why am I blessed if I'm poor? And a couple weeks ago when we did the elephant series, finished it up, and we were talking about the poor, I said, I read that very verse and said, you know, Jesus would talk about material poverty and spiritual poverty. And the reason it's a blessing to be spiritually poor is because it means that we recognize that we're not all that. That, that we don't have it all together, that there's something missing in our spirit and we need something. And Jesus says, when you are in that situation where you know you need something in your spirit, ha, the kingdom of heaven is on, is on the way to being yours because you're going to live into a life where you're going to seek after me, you're going to seek after my truth, and that leads to heaven. 
And then the next thing he said was, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, what is the blessing in mourning? I mean, that means somebody died that you cared about, somebody in a relationship ended that you care about. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, when that happens, I'm with you. My Holy Spirit will be there to comfort you. And actually, the church, he didn't say this, but it's implied that his body will be there to comfort. But there are those who believe that Jesus... Beatitudes build one on the next. I'm one of those who believe that. And so when he said, blessed are you who mourn, what he's saying is once you realize you're spiritual, spiritually poor, it will cause you to be sad. You'll mourn. And that's okay because I'll comfort you. And then the third one says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now again, meek. Who wants to be meek? And especially once I tell you what the Greek word means, you're not going to want to be meek. It means being like a domesticated animal. Okay. Who wants to be like a domesticated animal? Why, in fact, why would Jesus say it's a blessing to be like a domesticated animal? Well, here's the reason. Because we were created to obey God. We were created to obey God. And a domesticated animal who's really domesticated, like I've had dogs, those are supposed to be a domesticated animal, and, you know, I'd say sit, and they wouldn't. But a really domesticated animal, when you say sit, they sit, Right? And when you say fetch, they fetch. And whenever, you know, if you have, in those days, domesticated animals included oxen who would plow your fields for you, and they would go where you wanted them to go. Well, what he's saying is it's a blessing in our lives when we get to the point where we do what he says. So how are we going to get to that point? Because none of us want to do that. We want to do what we want. Well, the only way is this resurrection power that we're talking about. When we let Jesus be Savior and Lord in our lives and the Holy Spirit comes in, then what happens is we let the Holy Spirit lead more and more. And as we do that, we obey him more and more. And Jesus says, people like that, guess what we get? The earth. Now, right now, you know, we might be contesting the will, right? Who wants the earth right now? <laughs> but, but he's talking about the redeemed earth, the new earth that's going to be here for eternity. And it takes meekness to do that. Then he says, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now that's one. Wow. So once we are poor in spirit, we mourn for that. We, are, we agree that we're going to obey God in the power of the spirit. And we start this new life. We start to get hungry for the word of God and for fellowship with people that are in the family of God and for the presence of God in our lives. And he says, if we hunger for that and thirst for that, the good news is we're going to be satisfied. We're going to get filled up. And so you can see how that would be a blessing. The next one says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As we experience this new life and we start to see God and his greatest mercy of all is seen in, in the cross. When he died on the cross, he took my sins and your sins in his body. And there's no greater mercy than that, to take away all of that and give us a new life. Well, what happens is as we grow up a little bit and in this process, we see people who are hateful and angry and, you know, prideful and filled with shame. And instead of being upset, we start to show them mercy. Because we've received mercy, we start to show mercy. And what Jesus says is, when we show mercy, we receive even more mercy. It's this flow of mercy from the throne of God through us to others, and it comes back to us, and, and we have more mercy to share. And then the next one says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ooh, baby, I want to see God. Anybody want to see God? Come on, a couple of hands we should raise. I want to see God. But pure in heart, how are you going to be pure in heart? It's impossible. 
impossible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing I want everybody to understand. When we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, it isn't like, boom, and now we got the Holy Spirit and we're perfect and now we have a pure heart and we never have an evil thought again and we never do anything bad again. We never punch our brother or sister again. I mean, when I got baptized when I was 12 years old, I thought that because I got baptized, I was never going to be able to sin again. (laughs) That was a joke. I mean, on the way home, I punched my brother and he got baptized that day too. So it, it, it wasn't that way, but here's the thing. I don't punch my brother anymore. You see, I'm a little older, and I've, I've grown in the Spirit of God. And, and the Bible has a fancy word for that, sanctification. But what it really means is we get to be more like Jesus. We never become a God. That's a different religion. But we get to be more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit and that resurrection power exudes in us and our hearts become pure. And as it says, we get to see God. And then the next one says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons or the children of God. And it makes sense. As we grow in this relationship and we see this progression going and we become more and more like Jesus in our families and in at school and in our workplaces, even out, you know, out with strangers and I think we would all agree that the world is a, not a very peaceful place. There's a lot of pain and anger and division and hate. But what Jesus says is, when we grow up in this resurrection-powered life, eventually, when we enter into relationships, there's a peace, it's His peace, that comes. And He says when that happens, we're called the children of God. And then the last two, the last two Beatitudes are about persecution. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now we might think, That if we did what we were just talking about and we received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we're born again and we have the Holy Spirit in our life and we start to, you know, move out of spiritual poverty and we we start to, you know, be sad for the right kind of things and Jesus comforts us. And as all of this process goes and we become peacemakers, that everybody around us would go, wow, I want to be like that. But remember, Jesus was the only spirit-filled person that was totally spirit-filled, that did everything right, that ever lived. What did they do to him? Crucified him. What Jesus is telling us is, if you follow me and if you become like me, people might not like that. (laughs) Because the plan of the earth is not the plan of God. And those two plans conflict. And sometimes what will happen is there will be persecution. And what Jesus wanted us to remember, and what you can't forget if you remember that Jesus rose from the dead, is this life is not the only life. This life is not the only life. Yes, when we go out into the world, we go to school on Tuesday. I hope you have Monday off. I hope you even have Tuesday off. But when you go back to school, you know, there's going to be people who probably aren't going to like the kingdom of God kind of life that you're living. Or maybe at work or maybe in your family. Maybe you're going to go to Easter dinner and, you know, Cousin Harold wants to talk about something that has nothing to do with Jesus for sure. And how is that going to work out? Well, Cousin Harold might laugh at you, or he might ridicule you. Pretty much that's what happens. Worst thing Cousin Harold could do is ignore you. But that happens. But in other countries, 
today even in Sri Lanka, people die because they trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. It happens all the time. And what Jesus was reminding us is, in those moments, remember, this life isn't all there is. And however you live your life, you're still going to die. I'm still going to die. But one day, if we die because we're persecuted, what does he say? Yours is the kingdom of heaven, and great is your reward in heaven. What he's saying is, we're all going to go to heaven one day or to hell. He didn't say it here, but he says it in other places. And when we're in heaven, because we died, because we were persecuted for his sake, there's a great reward for that. And notice what he said. Die for me. He doesn't say it here, but he does say it. You know, take up your cross daily, which means to die to yourself and live for him, whatever it means. So here we are. 2019, almost 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the dead, and we asked a very important question, He is risen, He is risen indeed, now what? Well, we know what. What is? It is living in Jesus' resurrection power. That's the what. We go out of here and we live in Jesus' resurrection power. In fact, that's the next step for today. The next step is, I will live in Jesus' resurrection power this week. It's so wonderful to come to worship Jesus on Easter Day, on Resurrection Day, and to proclaim He is risen, He is risen indeed. But here's something more wonderful. To wake up tomorrow, and the first thing you do when you wake up, you go, Jesus, you're alive. Because you're alive, I'm alive. And I'm not just physically alive, I am that. But I'm spiritually alive. And because I'm spiritually alive, I get to live into this life that we just talked about. And the thing is, we're going to talk about it for 19 more weeks. What Jesus said this life looks like. And every single week, it's going to take the power of the living God in us, the resurrection power of Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit in us, to do it. I can tell you, I fail every time that I, Chris Marshall, seek to do stuff as Chris Marshall. But Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He could say, live like me as I live in the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that's when we succeed. So if you've never trusted Jesus, Saving Lord, you've never received the resurrection power, I want you to look at this prayer that's going to be up on the screen. Lord Jesus, I believe you lived, died, and rose from the dead. I believe you paid the penalty for my sins. I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live in your resurrection power from this moment until I see you face to face. Amen. So if you want to pray that prayer for the very first time and change ownership, let Jesus be in charge of your life, or maybe you've prayed that prayer and you just want to reaffirm that, you're welcome to pray it again with me as I pray it. Lord Jesus, I believe you lived, died, and rose from the dead. I believe you paid the penalty for my sins. I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can live in your resurrection power from this moment until I see you face to face. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that opportunity that we have to live in your resurrection power every single day. I pray for an outpouring of that power of your Holy Spirit among each every one of us, in each and every one of us today, God, that as we go out, we will lift up the name of Jesus, not just celebrate his resurrection today, but live in that resurrection power every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.